Good morning and welcome to our services today. We appreciate you uh, joining us and we're going to be in Matthew's Gospel. If you'd be finding that in your Bible today, hope you have your Bible with you. And we're going to look into a passage that is devoted primarily to the subject of prophecy. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 24. You know, as Christians, sometimes we view things differently than those who are in the world would view them who are not uh, familiar with the Bible and not uh, the children of God. And one of those things that we look at differently are current events that pertain to uh, prophecies or uh, predictions that are in the Bible. And even unbelievers can sometimes be fascinated with the subject of Bible prophecy and uh, as we know, our whole world, virtually our whole world, has sort of been thrust into a state of emergency. Um, in our church, a few weeks ago, actually about five weeks ago, I believe, uh, today, uh, that would be the last Sunday that we met together uh, to worship in the auditorium here. I read from this same passage, Matthew chapter 24, and I read where... Uh, we were just really beginning to understand a little bit about the uh, coronavirus and what it meant to our culture, to our society, to our world. And so I was reading in Matthew 24 where it talks about famines and pestilences that would be prevalent in the last days. And so I want to read this passage again today. Matthew chapter 24, uh, we'll begin reading in verse 3. And the Bible says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. And that was one of the things that we emphasized in that other message five weeks ago was when these things happen, don't let it cause you to panic. Don't be alarmed. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Then verse 7, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. And then verse 8 says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. And so we're going to look at this passage today, and I want to, I want to speak on this subject, welcome to the future because many of the things that we see in our society, in our world today, and have been in the last gen few generations, uh, point to some of the things that are going to take place in the future. So let's think about that subject together. Uh, welcome to the future, and let's pray as we begin. Father, we ask you once again that you would bless as we study your word. We pray, Lord, that uh, our hearts would be open, our minds would be attentive, and the Spirit of God would work through the Word of God to help us to grow, uh, to help us uh, understand our place in your will and our place in our world 
And we pray for your help, and we trust you for that today. Pray that each of us could benefit from this time together, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just begin uh, today by just thinking about the significance of prophecy. And uh, when I use the word prophecy in our message today, I'm going to use it as it uh, pertains to foretelling or predicting events that will happen in the future, prophecy. And uh, let me just give you a few examples, for instance, from the Old Testament first, of fulfilled prophecies, prophecies, things that were prophesied that actually came to pass. I'm thinking of uh, the role of Cyrus in the Old Testament, the king of Persia. I order the rebuilding of Jerusalem after the 70 years of Babylonian captivity. So he announced this man, Cyrus, and called him by name. And it came to pass about 150 years after Isaiah proclaimed that, that Cyrus was born. And eventually Cyrus became the ruler, and eventually Cyrus decreed that Israel would be allowed to return to their homeland from their place of captivity. So here's a prophecy Cyrus, a man who had not yet been born, would be born and would be uh, the leader, the ruler that would decree that God's people could return. Fulfilled prophecy. Let me give you another example. In, this, in 1 Kings chapter 13, uh, this was after the um, divided kingdom, and Israel's the northern kingdom, and Judah's the southern kingdom. And in 1 Kings 13, Jeroboam was the idolatrous king of Israel. He worshipped idols. He led the people to worship idols. And during that time, a man of God, the Bible says, announced that a child would be born whose name would be Josiah. And Josiah would decree, would rule, that they would burn the bones of priests that were idol worshipers and um, on this altar, this very altar uh, where Jeremiah, excuse me, where Jeroboam was. So this was the announcement by the man of God. A man will be born, Josiah by name. And 300 years after that, Josiah was born. And Josiah became the king. And Josiah, in, in this time of great reform, ordered that the priests would be killed and their bones would be burned on that altar. This prophecy by the man of God, very detailed, happened 300 years after it was declared. Now, we're more familiar, probably, most of us, with prophecies concerning Jesus, for instance, about his life, about his ministry. Isaiah prophesied many hundreds of years before Jesus was born that there would be a Messiah born of a virgin, and Micah, in the Old Testament, uh, prophesied, declared, proclaimed that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And in the Psalms, it uh, wrote in the Psalms, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, that he would be, his hands and his feet would be pierced. All these prophecies came to pass, and we know that they were uh, proclaimed hundreds of years before they were actually fulfilled. And that's a great testimony, for instance, for one thing, concerning the Word of God. Fulfilled prophecies, things that the Bible records that happened precisely as they were uh, prophesied hundreds of years later are a great testimony to the accuracy 
the inspiration, the infallibility of the scripture. Having said that, there are many prophecies in the Bible that are yet to be fulfilled. And that's where we're directing our attention today. What does the future hold? You know, in this passage in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3, uh, the question was, what shall be the sign of thy coming? Speaking to Jesus, what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? So Jesus was questioned about the sign of his coming. What are some characteristics? So what are some things that one would look for that could be recognized that point to the end of the world? And we know that there are many future events that are prophesied in our Bible, things that were declared in the Bible that have not yet taken place. For instance, the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus Christ is coming. And this is one of the questions here. What should be the sign of thy coming? And we know that Jesus is coming back. And one of the things that will happen, and by the way, he's going to come back in two different events, but one of the um, things that will happen when he comes for us the next time he comes will be the catching away, or sometimes we refer to the rapture of believers. I'm going to read a passage of scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'll give you just a moment to find that because here's a passage that clearly teaches um, something that's going to happen in the future and something that was written in our Bible, you know, 2,000 years ago, but has not yet occurred. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, But I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep, talking about those who've passed on, those who are uh, deceased, that you worry or that you sorrow not, excuse me, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, of course we do believe that, even so, them which also sleep in Jesus, those who are, have gone on to be with the Lord and they, they are believers, they're Christians, those which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him, which tells us something. People who know the Lord and are passed away, they're not, only, they're not in that grave, they're with him. And so he says that, that when those which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him, verse 15, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. He's going to come from heaven, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Their bodies will be resurrected. Then we which are alive and remain, those who are presently alive on the earth, when this takes place, shall be caught up together, with them in the clouds that be taken up to be with the Lord. If the Lord were to come today, as we're listening to this message, as, as you're listening to this, if Jesus were to come today, every person that is saved would be caught up to be with the Lord. To meet the Lord, verse 17 says, in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Now this is a prophecy, something that has been declared, something the Bible proclaims that has not yet occurred and and that would have to do with the return of Christ as I said earlier when Jesus comes back and he takes us to be with him then he will come back to this earth again it talks about that in the book of the revelation he will come 
at that great battle in the valley of Megiddo, the saints of God will return with him. And Revelation 19 says that when he comes, he will smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. That'll be a part of the judgment. So these are things that have been proclaimed or prophesied that will occur. Future judgments have been proclaimed. And let me just mention two of those judgments. First of all, the judgment seat of Christ. The day will come when every person who is saved, this is for believers, those who are born again, children of God, and they will be summoned to the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, and that'll be a reward, or it'll be a judgment for their rewards, for their faithfulness, and that'll be a wonderful occasion for those who've served the Lord. There'll be another time of judgment. This will not be for uh, the believers. This will be for unbelievers, for those who've rejected Christ, for those who've rejected the Gospels, talked about in the book of Revelation. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment. And those who've rejected the grace of God and rejected Christ as Savior will be cast into a lake of fire. That's the judgment. These are all things proclaimed that will happen in the future. Another thing, I'm just talking about prophecies. Many prophecies of the Bible have been fulfilled. Many prophecies have not yet been fulfilled. And another thing that's proclaimed in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament is what we call the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand-year reign of Christ, that when Jesus does come back, that time that we're referring to, when he will smite the nations, that he will literally rule in this earth or on this earth. Not only will he rule on this earth, but those who faithfully served him in this life will serve him in his millennial kingdom. What a wonderful thing to think about Today, if you faithfully serve the Lord in your place and those who preceded us, they faithfully serve the Lord and at the judgment seat of Christ, they will be rewarded and a part of their reward will be that they will serve in this millennial kingdom. Another thing prophesied that will happen that has not yet occurred. And then there's something we refer to as the great tribulation. Let's take a few moments and look at this aspect of Bible prophecy, something that has been predicted, something that has been proclaimed that has not yet occurred. Uh, you say, why do you call it the Great Tribulation? Because it will be a time of great tribulation. If you look in our text here in Matthew chapter 24, and look in verse 21, it says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time, from the beginning of this world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. This will be the greatest tribulation. There have been times of great tribulation in the world. There are people who are going through great tribulation now. There was great tribulation in the times of Noah when the whole world was destroyed except for Noah and his family. There have been times of great tribulation, but Jesus said this will be the greatest time of tribulation that will ever occur, part of the things that will happen are here in Matthew 24, part of them in the book of the Revelation. Look how these things are described in the last verse we read as we began today. Look in verse 8. <coughs> Pardon me. In verse 8 it says, all these, after talking about in verse 6, wars and rumors of wars, and verse 7, nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilences, and earthquakes 
all these things, all these kinds of things, Jesus said in verse 8, are the beginning of sorrows. These things, Jesus said, would occur, and he called them the beginning of sorrows. When these things start to happen, they are only the beginning. These things will continue. These things will not only continue, but they'll continue to get worse. I find it interesting that the word that is translated here in verse 8 is sorrows. Uh, can you be used, that word could be used to describe the pangs of childbirth. Pangs, P-A-N-G-S, the pangs of childbirth. And one thing we know about the pains of childbirth is they, they become more frequent and they become more intense. And, and I think that's why it's used here to describe the, these are the beginning of sorrows. You know, when a, an expectant mother is experiencing labor pains and those labor pains are getting more severe and she has a very serious, severe labor pain, um, she never would say this, you know, man, that was awful and maybe it won't get any worse than that because she knows that it's probably going to get worse. The reality is that those labor pains become more frequent and they become more intense until the birth. And these things that Jesus mentioned in our passage and throughout the Bible, things associated with the difficulty, the troubling times of this period that Jesus is talking about, have been around. These things have been around for a long time, but they're going to become more intense, more frequent. And they're going to get more serious. Now, what kinds of things? As I said earlier in verse 3, he talks about uh, how, what are these signs going to be. And then down in verse 7, he says there'll be famines and pestilences. One of the things that I think we can take from this is as we go further down this road of time, get closer to the coming of the Lord, this matter of sickness and disease and death is going to become even more serious. Um, We've witnessed in our lifetime numerous pandem pandemics. And it's amazing with all of our medical expertise, with all our scientific advances, when you get into something like this, you realize that in some ways we're still so limited. And if you were to fast forward, and we're not going to turn to it uh, today in our Bible, but in Revelation chapter 6, which is a, this written about, John wrote about these great tribulations that are going to come up on the earth, uh, John described a pale horse with a rider called Death. That was the rider's name, Death. And it says in that verse that, that hunger and death and beasts would claim a fourth of the entire earth. And in the last part of that chapter, it says that this is called the great day of God's wrath. So we look at what's going on in our world and we think about various pandemics, the one that we're in now and the number of people that are affected by it. But all these things, according to the Bible, as I understand it, are going to get worse and worse, more intense, more difficult. And so we see sickness and disease and death is a part of that. Another thing the Bible talks about is, is apostasy and blasphemy and, and people turning away from the faith and be, people being false teachers. Look in verse uh, 11 there in our text in Matthew 24, 11, 
where the Bible says, and many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. There's always been false prophets. There have always been false teachers. But there's, this is going to intensify. And we're living in that world today. A great falling away from the faith. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that in the latter times, the latter times, shall some depart from the faith and give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, demonic doctrine, false teaching. Jesus said that would be a part of what the last days would look at. Paul looked like Paul said in the latter times, you can expect this, great falling away, people turning away from the faith. If, if you would turn with me to uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, and let's read a couple of passages there in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, this is a passage that just fascinates me because it's so, so clear um, how this progression or digression, you could say, will take place. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, This know also that in the last days, there's no mistaking the time period that Paul is writing about, in the last days perilous times shall come. I want to read these verses. Verse 2, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, self-centered, self-absorbed, lovers of their own selves, selfish, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Many of us, including myself, can remember a day when, when people respected those that are good and, and despised those who were evil. That's sort of been reversed, hasn't it? Despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. How true that is of our day. Lovers of pleasure more than than lovers of God. Verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such, Paul writes Timothy, turn away. So these are indications of apostasy and blasphemy and rejecting the truth. As a matter of fact, on my Bible, I can just look across the page to chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. I'd invite you to look at that with me. And let's read these first four verses. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. He writes to Timothy, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Notice verse 3, for time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. These, these indicators, these, these uh, characteristics of blasphemy and apostasy and turning away from the truth are just going to get worse and worse according to the Bible. 
And let's think about another thing that will be a characteristic of the last days. And that's, I'm going to call that globalism and governmental control. Because we see that. We see it especially in the book of the Revelation. As I was thinking about this topic, I was reminded that when I was in high school, uh, we read George Orwell's uh, classic, 1984. And... The book was written, published in 1949. I'll never forget, though, even as a teenager reading this about a world that was hard to envision. It was like fiction. Uh, it was part of it would, you know, through monitors or screens. Uh, when you're looking at a television, for instance, or some screen, Big Brother is looking at you. That Big Brother is always aware of where you are and monitoring every move that you make. It was like a it was like a warning about totalitarian government. This, and, but yet now, fast forward to where we live now. The technology of our times has made these things come alive. And even in this recent uh, pandemic that we've been in in our country, calls for the surveillance of citizens to monitor our movements, to make sure that we're not violating social distancing um, requirements. And if you look into the Bible, and, and especially in the book of the Revelations, I said, you know, it speaks of end times government, a one world government that will dominate and control the entire world and even require a mark upon people who are citizens of the world at that time. We call it the mark of the beast. You would have to have this mark or you could not buy or sell without the mark. I'm just saying all these things that we're talking about. Prophesy how it's going to be in the end times, at the coming of the Lord. They're, and they're only going to increase the blasphemy, the, apost the apostasy, the turning away from the faith, these diseases and sicknesses and death and globalism and government control. These things are things that will be like in the world that um, is in the future. That's why I call this this subject, this message today, welcome to the future. And, you know, there's more than one way of looking at this. And I just want to take the remaining time we have and just make this really personal. Because the things that we're witnessing today are like precursors or forerunners to what the future holds for this world. And for some of us, it's, a, it's encouraging in a way that we're coming this close to the end. For some, it certainly doesn't bring encouragement. And so let's think about this because, and let's just, as I do this, as we make application, as we make it very personal for our life, let, let's just break everybody down into two groups of people because that's a way of, that's an accurate way of looking at what I'm about to say. The first group of people that I want to talk to are those who, belong to the Lord. I'm not talking about just people that are religious. I'm not talking about people who are the children of God because all they, they believe that the whole everybody in the world is a child of God. I'm talking about those people who've been born again. They've turned to Christ. They've repented of their sins. They put their faith in Jesus' death on the cross. And they have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Thankfully, thankfully, the saints will not experience many of these dreadful things described in the scripture. The worst of the worst will come after 
the rapture of believers, after believers have been taken from this earth. Now that does not mean that we're not going to experience some of the things that lead up to the great tribulation. I think maybe already we are experiencing some things that will lead up. And nobody knows how, how much of that we'll experience. But for us, the promise of Jesus coming, his return, is a message of hope. It's a comforting reality. We're, we're told, those of us who know the Lord, we're told, and, and I'm, I have my Bible still open to Matthew 24, we're hold, told to be ready to be, be anticipating his coming. And, and we could look at this in numerous places in the Gospels as well as the Epistles. But look in verse 42 of Matthew 24. He says, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Look in verse 44. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. We're told to be ready. We're told to be anticipating. And that passage we read in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and Paul talked about the reward that he was looking forward to receive. And he said, so will also those who love his appearing. We're to look forward to his coming. We're to be ready. We're to be anticipating. As a matter of fact, uh, John the Beloved in his epistles said this, that we be not ashamed at his coming. We don't want to be living in such a way that we would be ashamed when he comes. So we're, those of us who are saved look at this in a particular way. We're we're hopeful, we are motivated to live for the Lord and the fact that we'll one day see him. There's also a responsibility that's associated with our waiting. Again, I refer us to Matthew chapter 24 and notice one of the things that Jesus said in verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come. You know what we should be doing as we're preparing for the Lord to come back? We need to, be, we need to be witnessing. We need to be getting the gospel out. You know, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus was teaching about one of the times he was teaching about stewardship and servants. And he talked about the responsibility of servants when waiting for the Lord's return. And this is the words that Luke records, occupy till I come. Don't be lazy don't be inactive, be occupying. As stewards, we're to be busy. We're to be serving, we're to be evangelizing. We're not to be idle waiting on the Lord to come back. We're not to be procrastinating waiting on the Lord to come back. We're to be busy. We're to be looking forward to his return with hope and joy and love, but we're also to be serving him. And I, I take that as a Warning is an encouragement today. Here, you know, many of us are looking around, and I think this will be true to lots of us. We look around, we see things happening, we say, boy, doesn't that point to the Lord coming back? Just, just this week, one, one of our good men was uh, talking to me and talking about this very fact, how it looks, doesn't, doesn't all this thing point to the fact the Lord's returning? And I say, absolutely. But what does that mean? It means we ought to be praying, we ought to be busy, we ought to be serving, we ought to be witnessing, we ought to be getting the gospel out. That's those who know the Lord. But what does it mean for the unsaved? What does it mean for those who are not saved? Those who've never been born again. They may know about the Bible, but they've never personally received Christ as Savior. They've never repented of their sins. This ought to serve as a warning. You know, even in Paul's day, 
Paul lived with the expectation that Jesus could come back at any moment. And I realized that was 2,000 years ago. And, and scoffers could say, well, people have always been saying that. But you know what? It's true. Jesus could come back, and he could come back today. And what would happen? If you're listening to this, this very moment, if you're watching this, and Jesus were to come back, all those who know him would disappear in a moment of time. And you know what? If you, you've rejected Christ, you have no hope at that time, from that time of ever being saved because you've rejected the truth. These, these times should be, serve as a warning to us. To me, the signs of the times cry out. Prophecies will be fulfilled. The things we've read about in the scripture are going to happen. You know, when John the Baptist was fulfilling his ministry in the Gospels, preaching there and baptizing those who would believe in the Messiah at the Jordan River, this was a part of his message, flee from the wrath to come. Flee, run, escape the wrath that will come. Many people dismiss this notion that God will judge the earth, but he's going to judge it. And Jesus said it'll be worse than anything this world has ever experienced. And I say to you today, if you're not saved, if you don't know the Lord, no matter how old you are, no matter how much Bible you know, you need to turn to Christ. You need to repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You don't have to, you don't have to be in church to be saved, but you have to come to Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said this during his earthly ministry in the Gospels, that you would not come to me that you might have life. Life is not found in religion. Life is not uh, that, that man is created. Life is found in Jesus Christ. John the Beloved said in his writings and his epistles, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If you're, if you're listening today and you don't know the Lord, you need to turn to Christ. With a sincere heart, admit to him you're a sinner. Acknowledge to him that you need him. Be willing to humble yourself and say, I need salvation. I need to be forgiven. I need the Lord. And you could do that right where you are today. Or if you feel like you need some assistance or help, get someone, call someone, send an email today that you're not saved or you're not sure you're saved. But you know you've sinned against God, but you realize that Christ died for your sins. And right where you are, you could, you could bow your heart to God and admit to him that you've sinned and you know you don't deserve his forgiveness but Jesus died that you could be forgiven and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation it would be a great thing if when we think about the world we're living in and realizing where it's headed that this could be a motivating factor for God's people to get more serious about living for the Lord but also for those who don't know the Lord, that they might turn to Christ with repentance and faith and receive Jesus Christ, receive the gift of eternal life. Let's ask God today to help us take advantage of this opportunity, this time in our life, to make genuine spiritual progress, decisions for our good and for the glory of God. I'm going to pray in just a moment. But before I pray, I'm just going to pause and bow my head for just a moment. And I'm going to 
think about this and think about my own life. And I would urge you right where you are to do the same. And if you're not saved, cry out to God. And if you are saved, cry out to God and say, God, I, I want to take my stewardship of this time in my life seriously. Let's bow together and after a moment I'll lead us in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the Bible and how the Bible records prophecies of the Old Testament time, prophecies that we can look at in history and see how they were fulfilled exactly as they were prophesied and what an encouragement it is to us. And then, Father, we read in your word about things that are in the future, things that are going to happen. And, Lord, it certainly appears that we're seeing some of these things unfold before us. And it's a delight and yet a warning. We pray today that, Lord, you would use these truths to challenge our hearts, to encourage us, to motivate us. And we pray, Father, that as your people, those who belong to you through faith in Christ, that, Lord, we would be challenged, Lord, to live for you to live with a view toward your coming, a desire to be found faithful, a zeal to do what we can to occupy till you come. And for those, Lord, who don't know you, that you might work in their hearts, that they might, and with childlike sincerity and faith, receive Jesus Christ as Savior and be born again by the grace of God. God, use your word, we pray, to work in all of our lives, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.